0: Thank you for coming to my show, Katrina.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad to be here.
0: So uh, you can introduce yourself.
1: Sure. So uh, my name is Katrina Robertson. Um, If you want kind of the general uh, uh, overview of me, I live in uh, central Arkansas a lot of people outside the United States don't even know where Arkansas is. I just say we're next to Texas. They know where Texas is. So um, I know
0: know Arkansas and I also know Texas.
1: (laughs) Good, good. uh, My husband and I have been married going on 28 years. We have five children, uh, two biological, three adopted. Um, I uh, Professionally, I'm a financial advisor Uh, for just a local wealth management firm where I also serve as the compliance officer. I've been doing that about 17 years. And then kind of, I guess, on the side, I do a little bit of speaking, lots of podcasts. I got involved in this, like, just a court debacle in 2022, wrote a book about it. And then that's what kind of launched some opportunities to speak and such. But And so I actually have not done... Any podcast specific to finances, but that, in fact, is where I would say my my expertise actually lie. Mm,
0: okay, it's really nice to hear that you also wrote a book. So your book is selling on Amazon.
1: It is. It is. It's on Amazon. Um, it's Jure hashtag Eleven. Um, And the subtitle is A Memoir of the Broken Justice System and Rising from the Trials of Life. Um, I do have an audio version as well. Full disclosure in that uh, I recorded it myself. And and I'm in by no means a professional voiceover, but it was important for me to do it in my own voice. Um, So there is an audio version as well.
0: So probably I will ask like link from you and then I'm going to hear later on
1: sure here. sure yeah
0: so uh, regarding the finance so what kind of like normally when you get the clients so usually what kind of challenge they face in
1: finance what kind of challenges clients face in finance well you know so the majority of uh, the biggest bulk of our practice is like retirement planning you know helping clients Get to where that they can retire comfortably, and then not, you know, hope. You know, one of the biggest risks is that they will outlive their money, Um, and so trying to um, circumvent circumvent that and make sure that they feel um, comfortable to be able to retire, and they're not going to outlive um, their money. So the biggest challenge, especially right now, you know, and I don't know how it is, um, you know, in, in Canada or. Um other places, but for the United States, one of the biggest challenges is inflation. Um, you know, inflation, the, the cost of living has significantly outpaced uh, income growth. And so it used to, you know just in the the 17 years that I've been doing this, uh, it used to be that the average percent of a person's income that went to things like food and housing, the necessities, uh, took up a much smaller percentage than it does now. And so that leaves you less to work with when it comes to saving. So that would be the biggest challenge to people is it's much more important to really uh, well define what your needs versus wants are and um, be disciplined um, about you know putting that money aside. That's, that's the biggest challenge.
0: So the, for the investment, uh, usually you guys like recommend like investing in the stock
1: market? Right. So since I am a licensed securities individual, you know, I have to be real careful about, you know, I can't get on here and make specific recommendations. You know, in fact, I'm right in the middle of an SEC audit at the moment. Um, but absolutely. I mean, we do utilize the the stock market Um, and more specifically we utilize mainly like mutual funds, you know, without getting into the nitty gritty of exactly what those are, but they basically enable kind of the average investor that don't have a whole lot of money to uh, put into the markets and diversify well, because when you talk about like individual stocks or individual bonds, you really have to have quite a bit of money to spread it out and a mutual fund kind of enables that just average you know i've got two hundred dollars a month to set aside kind of person to diversify well um but of course yeah there are all kinds of investing outside of the stock market that's just where us as securities individuals investment advisors where our specialty is but i have clients who have significant investments in real estate or in their own companies and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, there's certainly all kinds of investments, but stock market is where we where we specialize at.
0: So in the real estate, what kind of return will people get?
1: Well, real estate, you know, I, you know, that is one of those that uh, people look at it as a little bit more of a hmm, safe investment, but it is. Very, very volatile, just as the stock market is. You know, I, I was doing this uh, back in 2007. That's when I started. And, you know, I don't know what was going on specifically in the rest of the world in 2008, but the United States was in a recession that began with the real estate market because prices had become so inflated that eventually the bubble just kind of burst and it was a domino effect that really put the entire country into um, into recession. So what kind of return? Um, a lot of that's going to depend on your your knowledge and expertise in the real estate market. Um, you know, if you know how to do it right and and by do it right, I mean, buy low, sell high. <laughs> <laughs> you know, buy low, get good renters, however it is you're doing it, then then absolutely you can have excellent returns. Myself, I have um several renter uh rental properties, but um I rent to like all families and friends and like to give them cheap, you know, like they're taking care of my property and and they're they're paying me like they're supposed to. So, you know, and they're friends and family, so I give them really cheap rent. I I'm not, my, my return is like low, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is absolutely possible, especially if you're able to go in there and, um, buy, uh, buy places that maybe need work done to them, but you're, uh, able to do that yourself. Me personally, myself and my husband have zero expertise in remodeling or construction. So we'd have to source it all out, which means, um, your, your return is going to be hit. You know, one of the things that, that right now in at least in the United States market, and again, I don't, I I'm, uh, you know, ignorant as far as what's going on in the rest of the world, but what makes it hard to get good returns right now in real estate, uh, in the United States is our interest rates have increased significantly over the last year. So when you're talking about investments like real estate, unless like right now it's a kind of a cash is king, you know cash is is what's going to um, earn you the most money right now. Um, and if you are trying to invest in real estate with debt, um, you're it's going to be very difficult for you to get much of a return because you're going to pay so much more for that debt. Um it, Uh, You know, my husband went in and tried to buy another investment property maybe six months ago. And, well, the best interest rate he could get was eight and a half. Well, I mean, when you're paying eight and a half, that's I mean, your your margin is so thin. You see what I'm saying now? If you have cash, well, then that that is that's different. Um, and then also right now, the, the flip side to high interest rates, not so great if you are in the mar- in the debt market looking for like a mortgage, but um, the flip side is my clients who are kind of fixed income clients that just want a fixed rate return. They aren't interested in the markets per se. They don't like the volatility, but you can get really good returns on like CDs or high interest savings accounts, that kind of thing. So. You know, that's that's the key right now is, yeah, not to use use debt if you can avoid it.
0: Do you think, like, the interest which nowadays we are getting in the high interest saving account, it is, like, I would say, equal to inflation or maybe a little bit of, I would say, a little bit of more than inflation? It's not, like, too much
1: return. You know, I haven't gone and exactly, like, studied um, the... Uh, you know, the trends and stuff, I do know that I did go back and look at the average, um, like mortgage interest rates, that prime rate and stuff for the last 50 years, because I, you know, you just hear so many people complaining about the high interest rate and it's so hard to get a reasonable mortgage and all that. But the, the problem is, is, you know, we became so accustomed to unreasonably low rates For so long, you know, here in the United States, goodness, we saw under 2% interest rates on mortgages for like over a decade, like 13 years. And so we kind of got used to that and accustomed to that, when in reality, that was not sustainable or reasonable forever. And, you know, like I said, my husband, when he was looking at another investment property and you know, the best he could get was like 8.5%. Now, this was an investment rate, and those are always higher than if it's like your primary house. But I believe what I what I found was that the average interest rate for the past 50 years was, and it's been a few weeks, but I, I want to say it was somewhere between seven and a quarter and seven and a half. So, the reality is we're really not that far off from what the average has been for the last half of a century. But, you know, when you're, you get used to something and it changes, well, it, it's uncomfortable and it hurts. You know, I know my husband and I, we were buying our first home in Texas in 1999 and our interest rate that we got was, I believe, Eight and a quarter, and we, and that was a really good interest rate at that time. We were, you know, we got like a special first-time buyer type rate, um, you know. But now it's kind of like you know, everybody's like, absolutely not. I'm not paying that. Um, but yeah, you know. And then you go even further back into like the '80s, and it was not uncommon common for people to see double-digit mortgages. But people are also making crazy money on CDs. So you know, that's the that's the other side of it. CDs. CDs, certificates of deposit. Those are you know kind of like your fixed interest, like that you can get from the bank, where oh, okay, um, okay. You, you know like where you and, and they usually you have to hold them. They have them for different maturity periods. The average is like a year. I usually get them for mm-hmm. like for six months, and they they pay you a stated interest rate until they mature, right? God, so right now those 60, have really good interest rates. Right, right.
0: Hmm. So like, uh, so you guys bought home when like in uh, 10 years ago in Texas? I'm sorry. So you guys bought home like 20 years ago? In
1: 1999. So yeah, it's been 25 years ago now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that time the situation was really good, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it, uh, uh, you know, we, we thought eight, eight and a quarter was a really great interest rate. Of course, then once we got into like 2010 and stuff, you know, like right now, our our interest rate on our mortgage right now is I think 1.9. <laughs> you know, it's like we will never refinance that mortgage. You know what I mean? It just won't happen.
0: <laughs> I agree. Like here in Canada, now is like skyrocketing. It's near about six to 7% because the inflation mm-hmm. is really bad here as well.
1: Yeah so it so it's the same way there huh. Yeah I wasn't real sure I'm um I I won't even try to act like I have a, a good grasp on world economics. I I I struggle with with just what's going on around me most days.
0: <laughs> uh, okay okay. Actually my brother he lives in Texas. So that's oh, why yeah. I I usually compare yeah.
1: Yes, yes,
0: yes. So like so suppose uh, if if there's a like normally the clients they normally do nine to five job right Mm -hmm. so how they should budget their income like every month
1: you know so um you know if you want to just talk about um you know just general rules of thumb you know we use all kinds of general rules of thumb when we are doing financial planning and stuff, you know, at a minimum, people need to be putting aside at least 10% of their income for what we call that, that retired person, you know, like 10% of it is going to pay yourself for when you're retired. So that's kind of a, a, a place to start. Um, you know, but we can't, we also can't just jump straight to, um, retirement, uh, planning. We have, um, you know, kind of like this peer, this financial pyramid, we have to look at like as far as here's what's at the bottom and the most important, you know, at the, um, at the bottom is going to be, um, you know, making sure you have like enough cash reserves, like you want enough, just cash in the bank, like emergency money, um, and again, going to like a rule of thumb, uh, it's going to be like somewhere between three and six months worth of living expenses. So, say your living expenses each month or are three thousand a month. If you have a steady income, like you're an employee that gets like a regular check, then three months is probably a little bit safer. So, that'd be you know maybe nine to ten thousand dollars just. In the bank, no, it's not earning a whole lot, but you also don't have the risk of it dropping and you can get it out at any time if you need it. If you are a type of uh, maybe commission or sales type individual where your income fluctuates greatly, or maybe you're in a industry where, yeah, I mean, you can, yeah, you know, here in the United States, like if you work in like the oil industry, I mean, you can be making tons of money one month and lose your job the next month. So you may want a closer to a six-month buffer in there. So that is real important to kind of start there because if you skip that part and jump right to um, retirement savings, and then something happens to where you need funds and you're forced to pull your money from those retirement accounts, well, you're um, not only are you going to most likely pay income tax on it, but you're also going to be penalized as well. And I don't know what all of the different retirement account options there are in Canada, but in the United States, the two for individuals are a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA. And if you try to access those before age 59 and a half, you're penalized. And so that's going to eat up a lot of your gain. And then, of course, also sacrifice those potential future returns you could have had if you'd left it there. So that's why I always say, you know, start with let's make sure you have a good cushion there. So that's that's important. And then also things like making sure you have enough, you know, like life insurance in place. Those those kind of especially if you're in, you know, maybe a young family with children, you still have debt, and if one of you were to pass away, it would be a huge burden on the spouse because they depend on your income well life insurance is a important part of the planning to make sure that's taken care of um but then but then the next step might be um how college savings things like that you know i don't know how i i think college may not be quite as expensive in canada as it is in the u.s but in the u.s it's astronomical um there's ways to do it less expensively, but, um, you know, college savings would be one of those next steps, possibly shorter term. Um, but then that's when you start looking at retirement and yeah, the goal, at least 10% of your income should be going into that.
0: Mm-hmm. And then like some percentage should be going into emergency fund, right?
1: Right, right. You know, and I, you don't want to become too cash heavy. You know, I, I, I do have some clients where, I mean, they just, you know, I've got some that, you know, they they don't believe in emergency funds. They kind of just fly by the seat of their pants, whatever. That's you know, whatever suits your your boat. Um, but then I've got other clients where it's like if they don't have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank, they don't sleep well at night. Um, but my advice is always, you know, once you kind of reach that goal in your savings. Um, then to move it, move on to something that's going to give you better potential for higher returns and some sort of tax benefit. Um, And if you have all, you know, say you you're you've been able to get yourself in a position where you have that uh, emergency fund established. Maybe you've even got a plan for future expenses, whether it's college weddings houses, cars, whatever you've kind of, and then um, you're maxing out your retirement accounts. Then what um, the next kind of top of the pyramid would be like taxable investment accounts, um, which, you know, that's where you can kind of maybe play, we call it, you know, kind of like your Tabasco sauce, where you might play with some individual stocks or that kind of thing.
0: So how much money a person need to retire? Like how much money a person needs to have in the bank account?
1: Well, don't we wish that there was just this magic number that we could all uh, shoot for, right? So that is a question that I answer on a regular basis and help people plan for. And we've got some pretty sophisticated software that helps us figure out what is that number. And it's going to be different for everybody. You know, but what we look at is when I'm trying to figure out, help somebody figure out how much do they need, um, the first question I'll ask is how much money will you need to meet your me- monthly expenses in today's dollars in retirement? So if you start thinking, okay, well, I should have all my debt paid off and okay I, I should need twenty five hundred dollars a month in retirement in today's dollars of course so we we take that number and then we say, okay, well, when do you plan on retiring well in in the United States, um, most people are kind of forced to hang on to age 65 because uh, at age 65 is when you qualify for Medicare, like the, the government's insurance. Mm-hmm. Most people get their medical insurance through their employer, and it's so astronomical to pay for it on your own that they usually have to, uh, you know, at least one of the spouses has to continue working until they get to age 65 where they can qualify for Medicare. You know, but maybe you're somebody that's like, you know, I, I plan on working longer or let's, I've helped a lot of clients where there's kind of a little bit of a loophole uh, with employer plans where you can actually start taking money out of them without penalty at age 55. So they're like, you know what, I want to try to take advantage of that and I want out of this rat race at age 55. So we plug in there, this is when you want to retire. then And then we look at what their projected social security benefits are going to be. So United States social security is what you pay into all throughout your working years. that And then the government then pays you an income that's based on um, your earnings while you are working and stuff. But, you know, there's... Um, the, the program has uh, deficiencies and there's lots of arguments on for how much longer is that going to be sustainable? Because at this point, we've got more people uh, being paid out of it than workers paying in and you know, no point in getting all into that. But you know, for my older clients, I go ahead and consider, you know, factor that into their retirement plan. You know, they can create a Uh, a login to the social security site that tells them, here's your expected benefits at the different ages that you can start drawing. Um, And so we plug that into the software that, okay, we plan on retiring at 65. It calculates what your social security is going to be. We plug in all of their investments, current balances, how they're invested, because that is really important, how they're invested, because that is going to determine the, uh, expected returns. And then if they're currently contributing, especially to an employer plan, oftentimes employer plans will also have matches. Like if it's an incentive for you to contribute, like if you're contributing 10%, the company will match you. We always advise clients to take advantage of that match. That's free money. Um, So unless you're just upside down in revolving credit card debt, Put your money into that employer plan to capture that employer match. So we figure all that in, and then um, we, you know, we we calculate and take into consideration taxes, inflation, um, long-term care costs at the end of life, all of that. Um, needing to continue to purchase a car maybe every five to seven years. Sometimes people don't think about that. So all of those things. And it kind of gives them um, a probability of success based on your current savings rate and growth. And, you know, here's the probability that you're gonna reach that. And then from there, we're like, eh, okay, looks like you're on track. Or, okay, we either need to adjust what we need in retirement or figure out a way to save more. Um, but if we get to just a general rule of thumb, like a quick and dirty, how much do I need? So the kind of uh, recommended withdrawal rate from an account to where you shouldn't have to ever worry about outliving it is four percent. So maybe push it up to five, five percent. So if you, you know, you can create kind of an Excel quick and dirty Excel spreadsheet calculator, which you know I've got one, and I'll punch numbers into it all the time where it's like okay i need thirty thousand dollars in income off an account how much of an account do i need where five percent is thirty thousand a year does that make sense
0: mm, okay,
1: okay you see what i'm saying like you know or if i'm looking at a a, a client and you know um and i'll just pull up my little calculator real, real quick here say they've got seven hundred thousand in an account if we look mm-hmm. i'll do Four and a half percent. Four and a half percent of that. Well, I was almost spot on. It's thirty-one thousand five hundred. So, if you've got, so if that is what you're aiming for, that much of a withdrawal rate. If you divide that by twelve, that's twenty-six hundred a month. If that's what you're looking to pull out of an an account, then seven hundred thousand is what you would be aiming for to have. And so then we look at well how much depending on your biggest asset in investing is time when i can grab these when, I, I love it when i can get a hold of like a 20 something year old and show them what just a small amount of investment does over 40 50 years it, it blows them away i mean they can be a millionaire easily with the you're cost right, of right a you, know, you see what, that compound interest just mm-hmm. at you know, and so what i'll show people is i'll say okay so what if you start saving now, you know, $300 a month at 20 years old, um, what you'll end up with. But then what if you say, you know, I really can't swing it right now. I need to, you know, I'm getting ready to get married and all that. So you wait 10 years. So then I cut 10 years off and it absolutely astonishes them every single time the drop in what they have at, the, at that same age. And I explained to them the reason for that is because you're cutting off the deposits that would have had the most time to grow, right. is what you're eliminating. So, I, you know, I'm, I've never met with clients who said, I wish I wouldn't have saved. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I meet with clients all the time that said, I wish I would have known sooner. I wish I would have started sooner all the time. You know, um, another uh, like Excel spreadsheet, little PowerPoint thing I have that just blows people away all the time is to illustrate uh, dollar cost averaging. Are you familiar with that term? You know, that's when you are systematically purchasing the same amount, like, you know, like $300 a month or $100 a month into an investment, you know, systematically, no matter what the price is doing, oh, okay, up there, okay, you're putting it. that same amount in every. So it's like a
0: systematic year. investment plan,
1: right? Um, and what that allows you to do with like mutual funds is dollar cost average your purchases in, which means when that price drops low, you're purchasing more shares. When the price goes up, you purchase less shares, which is what you want to do, right? right right and so when my my clients who are able to um avoid the herd mentality to separate their emotions from the headlines um and i've got just um a a little bit of a um an emergency here let me <laughs> let me send a message so they'll quit trying to call me but um you know my clients who are able to kind of stay the course and keep putting their money in even when the markets are dropping and down um then that allows them to purchase more shares when the price is low so that when things recover they really have significant gains so so yeah
0: So basically, like they invest like every month or maybe like every week a same amount. Oh, yeah.
1: I have some that will put money in every every week. But the more common is every month. Yeah.
0: And that's like average out. It doesn't matter, like, uh, you know, the price is going up, price is going down. You need to like just keep doing it.
1: Right. Exactly. You know, kind of like I said in 2008, when the United States was in a recessionary period, You know, we, you know, my investors and even myself, I mean, I'm still, I still consider myself young. Um, So I'm more aggressive. I have a long term. um, I, uh, from the, the market started dropping in September of 07. They didn't stop dropping until um, March of 09. We had about 18 months of nothing. I mean, it was just, it was awful. It was nauseating. But during that time, my aggressive investors, myself included, saw their accounts drop by up to 60%. I mean, that I mean that makes you want to just give up. Like, what am I doing? I'm just throwing my money out the window. Um, but my clients that were able to kind of stay the course, um, quit looking at their statements, reading the headlines, it took about three years to kind of get back to the black to where you are break even Uh, at about the seven year mark is where we were back to regular respectable gains so that's but what your emotions will tell you to do is to get out when it's dropping right right. and to get in when things are doing better well that causes you to buy low and sell high that's the opposite of what you want to do and even right like right now the markets have been volatile in the united states we're in an election year and it's like this circus looney tune election year you know and and so people are understandably um like nervous um they don't really know like what's going to happen but every single time things are a little bit crazy it's like sure the circumstances are different but we've been through other uncertain times as well You know, it's kind of like there's nothing new under the sun, Um, you know, and I'm kind of like, you know, my my kind of doom and gloom clients that are like um, certain of total economic fallout and um, everything's going to fall apart. You know, we need to go buy gold, whatever. Um, I'm like, eh, I mean, if we're talking about total economic collapse, I don't think anybody wants your gold either. Uh, You know, I just, you know get you some chickens and a cow and some ammunition, you know, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if things get crazy like that in Canada. No, you know? no, that's right. That's
0: right. No, because like, you know, if, if there are recession or some economical like ups and downs happen in States, then directly also impacts Canada.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So, so like, uh, so do you also have clients who are like, you know, super rich, maybe like millionaires and billionaires.
1: I wouldn't say billionaires. I mean, I've got some millionaires, but no yeah, billionaires.
0: Yeah, millionaires. yeah, billionaires are anyway. like there are very few billionaires, I think, in the world itself.
1: What, what was that?
0: No, I'm telling you, like there are like very few billionaires in the world itself.
1: Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're, um, you know, I mean, they're out there, but um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have, but I mean, really, I mean, even millionaires, I mean, goodness, you, if you talk about the whole entire world, I, I think if you're making over 50,000 a year, you're in the top, um, the top little 3%, you know? Yeah, right.
0: So like if, uh, so, so what kind of mindset they have, how they like become millionaires, when you talk to them, what, what do you feel like a difference between normal people and them?
1: Um, you know, one, well, I, I will, I'll, I'll kind of, um, I'll say that our, our company specifically, um, you know, we, we are a, a Christian company and so we attract our clients kind of have that mindset as well, um, in that they feel a very big responsibility just to be good stewards of their resources so they have that mindset and they also kind of have the mindset of um not to get too greedy and like get too tied up in it um you know worry about it all the time um you know which i guess you know that just gives you a better life but you know my i would say that you know my clients who Um, are doing really, really well for themselves. One, they're all hard workers. You know, at at the end of the day, they are entrepreneurial minded They're Mm. hard workers. Um, They don't have the attitude that anybody owes them anything. They um, do not have kind of this victim mentality. Like all of them are very much, uh, I've not yet met, anyone who is like a high net worth individual that hasn't gotten there without um, really putting a whole lot of risk out there. And risk being their time, their effort, their energy. Um, The, uh, you know, because there's a, a difference between them and kind of this mentality of like, just do enough for today like those individuals that are like, just do enough for today. Like they don't seem to have enough forethought for anything, but for today. And it's those clients where maybe I help, I run maybe their employer plan where they, they just, they didn't, you know, seek me out. They just, their employer offered it in a plan. And I was, you know, they're the ones that will participate in a plan. But when they leave that employment, they pull all their money out, pay the penalty, spend it, you know, it, they view it as their money to, to get by on till they find the next job. Like they don't have that, like I, I call it kind of that entrepreneurial mindset of always trying to better themselves, um, increase in knowledge. Uh, you know, it seems like most of the people who think they know it all are the ones that are doing most poorly at life. It's like those that recognize, I don't know it all and are continually like stretching themselves and growing themselves, it's like those are the ones that, you know, do the most. They do, um, you know, like even, like, getting started and in investing is the hardest part. Like just getting, like it's it's those that like take the initiative like for some people, it's just like the process of doing the paperwork or learning something new. Like they don't understand stocks and bonds. It doesn't make Mm -hmm. any sense. And it's, it's daunting and overwhelming. So they just don't do it. They don't understand it. So you talk about real estate investing, you know, they, they are like jealous of people that make money doing it, but they don't, do the hard work to learn it themselves. Um, So I think that really at the end of the day is kind of what separates them. It's the people who are willing to do the hard things, you know? Um, And that's, I think that's with anything in life, you know, what, you know, the people who excel at um, physical health, you know, they're, they're the ones who are willing to do the hard because that's important to them that, so they're the ones that get up when they don't want to get up um, that, you know, so, you know, those that um, were able to succeed financially or the ones that got that second job, that third job that skipped the, the expensive coffee and um, you know, put the money aside that, you know, bought the the car that they could afford for cash rather than financing it. It's that's, it's that whole mentality of, um, you know, and, and thinking that we have a really bad, um, you know, here in the U.S. especially, you know, and I think social media uh, kind of makes it even harder as this mentality of um, we're owed something like we we, we deserve something um this entitlement kind of mentality Mm -hmm. um uh, you know you see the these people these uh influencers and youtubers Mm -hmm. or you know they make this money seemingly doing nothing nothing and Mm -hmm. uh, and and there's a few out there that uh, have come by it easy but for the most part even they have put the time and energy and effort in to get where they are but there's this perception that they didn't mm-hmm. you, that's right you see what i'm saying like, yeah, like yeah, even, even you doing doing this podcast there's thousands and thousands of people out there doing podcasts but right those that begin to gain traction of mm-hmm. viewership are those that are doing some pretty hard behind the scenes work to gain that traction so, right. so yeah that's really what separates them you know even in So here's an example. Like I have a client um, who is looking at retiring next year. She works for, um, it's a home improvement store. I don't know if they're international or not. They're called Lowe's. Um, It's like a, just a home, you know, they sell like lumber and home building stuff. She's worked there for 35 years. And even after 35 years, she makes less than 40,000 a year. But she is looking at retiring next year, not even 60 years old yet, and has well over a million saved, because she has been disciplined and um, wow. made some good investment choices, and you know, has lived frugally, you know that you now she's, she's content. Um and that is a, a good word too of you know to to be content, you know. So Sorry. um but there is a line there, content, yes, in that having patience in uh you know, like right now I really want a Corvette, but I can't pay cash for one. So I'm going to be content with what I have and be patient. Um but then also not always content with you and where you're at and that always trying, like, going back to stretch and grow and work hard. That's what's going to set you apart.
0: So you're telling that she's she's earning less than $40,000 a year. And uh-huh. still, she is, like, going to be a millionaire. Wow.
1: Correct. And I will say, uh, and my handful of clients who have been able to do that off you know relatively low salary jobs are those who took full advantage of the employer plans from day one when they were young began maxing out their employer plans and oftentimes they had employee stock purchase plans where they were able to they gave them the benefit of purchasing stock at discounted rates because they're employees And they took full advantage of those plans. Those are usually the ones that are able to do that, that have that benefit available to you, to them. But, you know, so many, like I said, are short-sighted in that, you know, rather than making whatever sacrifice they need to make in their monthly expenses to take advantage of that benefit or two, they may take advantage of it, but then also be short-sighted and not knowing the, the, the future value if you leave it there and instead pull it out but having the discipline of, of leaving it.
0: So what she was doing, she was like investing in S&P 500 and mutual funds and ETFs and all.
1: Yeah. Well, and a lot of, uh, the company stock, a lot of the company stock, because she was able to purchase it as a discount as a benefit of being an employee. Um, you know, so it, it, it worked out well for her. Now a a key is, you know, one thing I've, advised her over the years is, you know, yes, that's worked out well, but let's not leave you all in this one stock. Let's get you diversified because, yes, it's done great for you. But, um, you know, it, a, a well established, strong company, uh, at least it can be perceived that way, can, um, uh, you know, go under a, a, overnight and, and you lose everything. So you don't want that much risk tied up to one.
0: So like you guys were uh giving them suggestion or she was like good at picking stocks
1: well um well she was investing in the stock of the company she was working for oh
0: okay
1: right 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 so um you know yeah no that was her only option as far as stock that you know she didn't have any other options it was only the option of the company stock but you know for the most part when you talk about over a time span of 35 years just about any company that has especially a larger company that has been in existence that long over 35 years i mean there's not too many that you're not going to see pretty substantial returns over a 35 year period especially when you add into it um buying at a discount
0: Mm -hmm. i agree but actually you know like even if sometime uh it happens with me like you know I see like Walmart I know Walmart is a good company it's not going to close in like maybe next 20 years but still investing in that I feel kind of scared if I wanted to invest in a good amount of money maybe 200 dollars, it doesn't matter 200 doesn't matter sure sure but it- sure
1: well so and so like you've got like the the large growth and large income stocks you know like um you know you've you've got those like like Walmart where they've been around a long time. They're a good solid company. I haven't researched Walmart. They probably pay dividends, decent dividends. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure. Um, You know, those are the ones where you kind of, you put your, your money in there and you kind of, you don't expect huge volatility. Um, You know, I have some clients that are interested in those dividend paying stocks, you know, and then you've got the other large companies where, you know, they're, they're kind of like those growth ones where, Maybe they're right on the verge of um, getting a new patent out, or research and development, or getting ready to expand more. Like Tesla, we call them kind of like our our home run kings. You know, your home run. You know, I don't even know if they do baseball in Canada, but your your home run hitters are also the biggest strikeout kings, where you know you have the potential of really the the stock price taken off, or striking out, you know, (laughs) (laughs) again, you can't separate risk and return. You just, you know, it'd be awesome to have a high potential for high returns um, and no risk, but it doesn't exist. It it just doesn't.
0: So how how to like get out of the mentality that, you know, like, even if you know that, okay, Walmart is going to perform well, Costco is going to do well in future because they're such a big giant. Mm but it's still like people are like scared of putting you i would say like good amount of money in that so suppose if you tell me like put maybe 20,000 dollars then i'll be like no no it's like you know even if we know like
1: yeah you know and so like i said you know i treat you know i tell my clients to kind of treat individual stocks like tabasco sauce they're your your play money kind of now now i you know you can create a well diversified account using only stocks, but you really need at least a hundred thousand dollars in the account to diversify among all the different asset classes using stock. Um, But otherwise, if you're just wanting to kind of dabble here and there, where it's like the market drop, you know, like uh, when COVID hit, you know, we had like this huge immediate, like just overnight drop in the markets. awesome time to go in there and grab some stocks because it turned around and came right back up almost immediately had a lot of people think that they were these, uh, stock market geniuses. No, they just got lucky. But, um, so, um, <laughs> I, so that again, this is just a rule of thumb. I, my clients who want to like kind of dabble in stuff stocks, I try not to, I, I, caution them to not have more than ten percent of their portfolio in any one stock you know so that they've got a hundred thousand dollars I you know I, I don't don't put more than ten thousand in I, I say in stocks in general especially just one stock so that's kind of my my rule of thumb um you know but if somebody's willing to to they just have to understand the risks they're, they're taking on. You know, if I've got a, a client that has tons of cash reserves, they've got plenty of income and, uh, you know, I mean, then fine, sure, whatever, you know, <laughs> roll the dice. Um, but, it, you know, if I've got a client who is in retirement, they're depending on this account for income, and they've heard about some stock that's supposed to uh, have 200% return this year and they want to put all their money in it. I'm like, Ooh, let's, you know, let's hold, let's pull the reins back here. Um, and you know, you're, you're not in a position to take on that kind of risk. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, you have to kind of understand a particular individual's, both their personal risk tolerance level and what their objectives and timeframe are.
0: hmm OK, so my, my last question is uh, what we should like. Suppose if I wanted to retire early then I need to have a growth portfolio, right?
1: Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and start early, start early. Yeah. Um, you know, and I even go so that if your risk tolerance can handle it, then I go aggressive growth. You know, like I said, that's where I'm still at and where I was out. That, you know, back when we went through a recession, you know, I saw a sixty percent drop in my accounts. That hurts. I don't care. I don't care how little or much you have. That, that, that hurts. So you've got to have that tolerance to kind of uh, take a deep breath and hold on.
0: <laughs> so, do you think like investing in ETF? Um, I can do that early by investing in ETF or mutual funds.
1: Can you? Can you do? Uh, I'm sorry, what what was that about? Can you use just ETFs and mutual funds and do that? Is that what you're saying? For that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, that's predominantly all we use is ETFs and mutual funds in in our practice. practice. My
0: my, my question was, suppose if I want to retire maybe like in the next 15 years. Okay. So is it a good idea to put in like ETF and mutual fund instead of putting in stocks?
1: Oh, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, that's primarily what, you know, and again, it all kind of depends on your specific, you know, like how much money are you talking about putting aside your risk tolerance and all that. But yeah, it's certainly, you know, and ETFs are, you know, very similar to, to mutual funds. And that's really kind of the direction more and more investors are are going because uh, they trade like a stock and the costs are a lot lower. Um, but they, just like a mutual fund allow you to kind of diversify with smaller amounts of money so so yeah they're they're a great option
0: okay so means there is a
1: possibility that a person can retire even if putting in like etf mutual
0: funding for 10 to 15 years
1: yeah just uh, just so long you're putting in enough and and you know what the you know what your goal is and and what you need to be putting aside to reach that goal
0: oh okay and uh, there there's one more question I forgot to ask. What what's your take on rent versus buying? You know, some people they tell like, okay, it's better mm. to rent, you know, property. Right, and
1: some people, right.
0: And some people think, no, no, you should buy, you know, and pay mortgage.
1: Yeah. You know, so you know, that's a, a, a tough one right now with how the market is, especially here in the US, because, you know, one, like we already talked about, interest rates are higher but uh renting costs the have increased um so substantially that it's still gosh it, it still makes pushes you towards buying even with the higher interest rates you know most of the time um still even with the higher interest rates and stuff if you can if you really believe that you're going to be at a location for at least two years it seems two years is kind of that that spot where it begins to make more sense to buy if you're going to be there at least two years then um then most of the time it makes more sense to buy something Um, you know there are some pockets in the u.s though where real estate is just so out of control. Um, Lots of places in in California, in Colorado, where the average person, I mean, it's a pipe dream to own a house. I mean, you you pay half a million dollars for a trailer. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Um, So if you're in those areas, well, um, then yeah, it it just may not be a reality. But most of the time, um, because just like, the stock markets yes they go up and down day to day over the long term they go they go up you know it's it's kind of you know like this real estate is really kind of the same way and i tell people all the time you know when they when they get kind of freaked out when they open up their account statement and they see their their value has dropped i have to you know and they say i lost 10,000 dollars this month and i have to say eh only if you sell, have you lost that $10,000 right now? It's just a paper loss. Like it's a loss in value. You haven't. So I I always try to correct their, their word when they say I lost X amount of dollars. I was like, you lost some, you still own the shares, right? Okay. So I, I compare that to real estate. Like if you were getting a monthly statement on your house value, I think you could, relate a little bit better. Like say you go and you pay $100,000 for your house at the top of the markets. Six months later, the housing market drops and your statement comes in for the value of your house and it's saying it's only worth $60,000 now. You don't freak out and say, oh my gosh, I better sell my house immediately. You know, the the rational person is like, geez, that sucks. I'm glad I don't have to move or anything right now because everybody knows it's going to come back up. You know what I mean? It just it it will over the course of time. It's going to come back up, but and I think that you know if we received monthly statements on the value of our house, uh, we would probably have the same emotional roller coaster like we do with our monthly statements from our investment accounts. Is you know unless you sell, you haven't lost that money. So again, that's kind of chasing a little bit of a, a rabbit trail there. But what I'm saying is, you know, it costs money to buy, you know, especially if you are getting a mortgage and that there's a lots of fees and expenses and stuff, taxes, insurance, closing costs, all of that. And unless you are buying something uh, where you're just getting a really, really good deal, there's a lot of expenses and you really need to stay there for like i said 2 years is usually a good spot to look at to make up for those expenses that you've paid um but over time the value of that house is going to increase so you i mean unless you're just destroying the place you know not taking care of it but it, it the value of real estate increases over time and so it in and of itself is an investment. Um, you know, so most of the time it makes sense to buy. Um, but there's lots of, lots of other factors that could come into play.
0: So usually how much percentage we should pay for the mortgage, suppose like, uh, from our monthly income.
1: Um, you know, I think the rule of thumb is that maybe like no more than 20% of your income go to housing expense, you know, that's kind of a, a rule of thumb, of, you know, 20% go to housing. So, so yeah. And so that's, um, and that's where I was talking about at the, the very beginning, one of the biggest uh, difficulties is it's much harder because of inflation to keep that housing piece of the pie at 20% just because things cost so much more. So that's, that's that's one of the bigger difficulties
0: agree so that's why nowadays people like believe more in renting because the mortgages are so high
1: right but you know like I said um at least at least here um the cost to rent has gone so high as well so you know you're back to you know yes mortgages have gone up but so has the cost to rent um so yeah, it's a it, you know so then you you kind of go back with well, if I can pay the same amount to buy something then mm-hmm. it probably makes sense to to buy. You know, obviously, you know, so when you buy a house again, risk and return um you are now the owner of that house, so you now have the risk and responsibility of all expenses that of you know you need a new roof, you need a new heat and air, you've got foundation problems, you know whatever it's it's on you. So that is um so that's another thing um you know like one of my rental properties um, had a friend written it for quite some time um she was like she had. Her budget was completely maxed out. She had no room for savings whatsoever. It's just where she was at her particular time in life. Um, For her, it did not make sense to buy something because, um, you know, she had no, you know, extra money for anything that could possibly come up as a homeowner. Whereas when you're a homeowner, you really, you've got to have that buffer there for, all of you, you know, I don't know if you own a house, but it, you know, you've got, yeah, you know, uh, here, you know, you've got to have your house insured. Well, insurance keeps going up and up and up and it, Mm. you know, so, whereas if you're just renting, renter's insurance is pretty inexpensive.
0: Yeah, I I, I got it. I got the answer. Yeah. Okay. I think uh, that's it. (laughs) So I got a lot of information (laughs) from you today. And it was really like helpful for me and also the people who listen it.
1: Well, good, good.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, well, it was good, good chatting. I always, you know, like I say, none of my podcasts have anything to do with finances, but I mean, this is where I feel the, it's the realm in which I feel the most comfortable talking. I just can't, um, you know, being a licensed securities person, I can't offer like specific investment advice when it's kind of going out in a broad sense. But if somebody wants to give me a call and talk about their specific situation, then I can kind of get into more specific recommendations.
0: No. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it was really nice. And thank you so much for your time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it.